Well, we uh, obviously have a, a stage uh, full of uh, baskets, and uh, we couldn't even fit them all on the stage. My, my office is uh, loaded from the beginning to the end with uh, baskets, uh, turkey baskets. For those of you that uh, weren't in it as we started off, uh, we uh, love this time of the year where we uh, love to try and bless our community, try and be good news uh, to our community, try and... Uh, somehow or other uh, help the poor, uh, somehow or other make a difference in some small way. And uh, every year we've been doing this, uh, I don't know when we started, but for a number of years. And uh, every year it seems like we have the similar, um, it goes a similar way. We think, well, who are we going to actually give these baskets to? Uh, where can we find names? Where are the right people uh, that uh, we can deliver baskets to? Because uh, that may not seem that obvious, but um, actually it's hard to find the right people that actually need baskets. So actually this week in staff meeting, we thought, uh, uh, us of little faith in the staff, uh, we thought, well, we're probably going to have half the number that we had last year because we just didn't have any names that we knew of that were coming in. And lo and behold, uh, you know, Lord moves between Tuesday and Sunday, and here we have more than we've ever had before. I think we're at 77 uh, baskets this year. And uh, so we found names of people that want baskets, that need baskets, and uh, both in Hopkinton and in Milford and surrounding towns. And uh, that's really awesome. And uh, I thank uh, many of you who have given financially uh, for these baskets. And, uh, you know, I don't know what they cost exactly per basket, probably like $35 or so. Uh, you know, some of you might be saying today, you know, I, I would like to participate. I'd like to either give some money uh, towards uh, these baskets or sponsor one basket or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, I think, you know, it, for, for us as a church, we just delight to do this. So it's not, we're not dependent on re whether we do or don't receive money from you. This is something that we like to do. But on the other hand, it's something that many of you delight in participating in and saying, I, I want to either you know, participate financially or participate in the delivery or participate in the preparation or there's something that we get blessed in, in doing that. But like everything that we do in church, it really always depends on who's the leader. I mean, who's actually going to take this project on and, and make it happen? Uh, because we can come up with all sorts of good ideas, but unless somebody is going to say, okay, I'll take on the leadership role of this, and I will try and you know, find volunteers to help make this reality, and that's a big challenge for anything we do in the church, uh, it won't happen. And uh, so I really want to uh, thank Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen, why don't you make your way up here uh, for spearheading this effort? And she just said, why don't you give Mary Ellen a good uh, clap here? Having said all that, look at it, just well-coordinated with this fall <laughs> outfit and matching all the baskets. <laughs> but this is wonderful. Mary Ellen's put a lot of effort, a lot of effort, a lot of time. And uh, what I love about Mary Ellen, she's detail-oriented. I mean, she's got all the details taken care of. That's awesome. However, what I want Mary Ellen to share is something slightly different. Uh, I want to take uh, you back to when Mary Ellen was convicted by the Lord. Like, how do you get to this place? Okay, she's leaving, leading, she's serving, does children's ministry. But it had to start with 
how do I connect with Jesus? You know, how, how do I connect with church? How does that happen? And so uh, I'll just start the story. Mary Ellen can complete it. God randomly uh, had us running together one day at Hopkinton, uh, just Mary Ellen and I. We didn't know each other from, from Adam. Either of us didn't know each other, but we ended up running together, and we came up College Street, which comes on to 85, and Mary Ellen, you can tell your experience. Okay, so I had moved, I moved to Hopkinton in 2008, and I didn't have a church at the time. In fact, I really, in my heart, I wanted to find a church. I was, I, um, was raised as a Catholic, but I wasn't satisfied with my experience with Catholicism. So I was just kind of searching, and um, I was, like I said, I was new to town, so I would drive up and down Route 85 to get to my house and to the market and everything, and I saw a billboard. This billboard kept, um, you know, just popping up, and it had a big cross on it and a guitar, and it said, um, the Vineyard Church, relaxed but real. I still remember the billboard exactly. And I would look at that billboard, and I would think to myself, a billboard for a church? Who does that, you know? <laughs> and, um, but yet, I felt, I just kept thinking, relaxed but real. That's what I want. I, I want that. Didn't do anything about it. I didn't even know where the church was. But um, I was a runner, and like I said, I was new to town. I didn't know town that well, but I wanted to do a 10-mile run. And so I had gone on, mapped my run, and I had written down every turn I needed to make. And I put it in my pocket. And I went up to the, um, the corner where the running club was meeting. And people are pairing off, trying to decide who's going to run with who. And this guy is standing here like, I don't know. I'm new. I don't, I don't know. I'm new to this whole running thing. So I don't know, even know why I did this because it's not of my character to say, why don't you come with me? The two of us will run together. So me and this guy that I don't know go off running. And we start talking. And um, I was saying that I was searching for a church. And I asked him, what church do you go to? <laughs> so he told, oh, I go to the Vineyard Church. I said, oh, can you tell me about it? And so he starts, oh, we have two services. And he's going, telling me, and oh, I went to this leadership conference. and all. So finally, I looked at him and I said, you know an awful lot about this church. Are you a pastor or something? <laughs> and so he started to laugh and he said, um, okay, I guess you got me. <laughs> And, you know, that was the beginning. It still took me a couple of weeks before I came to the church. And, um, and you know, I've been coming ever since. And then the first year, the, the Thanksgiving, in fact, I started right about this time. And the first year, they were doing the Thanksgiving basket program. And I thought, oh, I'd really love to do deliveries. But I, I didn't have the guts to do it. So we didn't do it that year. And then the next year... <laughs> I somehow started making the phone calls, and you know, here we are um, with 80 baskets to deliver. So that's the story. Thank you, Mary Ellen. <laughs> so in the natural, the question is, was Mary Ellen searching for a church and then just so happened to end up running with me, or was... Jesus, in his love, searching for Mary Ellen and drawing her to himself. Yeah, uh, you know, that's, 
That's the way the Lord works. He's drawing people and he uses us to make that connection. So uh, I, I'm just excited today, as, you know, as usual. We've got a great uh, Sunday delivering baskets, and uh, I, uh, I love this uh, series that, we, that, we, that we're doing on leadership, buildings, and faith. And uh, today I want to talk about uh, compassion and commitment. Uh, you know, Galatians 6 has a wonderful verse. It says, let us never get tired of doing what is good. Let us never get tired of doing what is good. And uh, it's good to love the town. It's good to serve the community. It's good to uh, be good news to the people around us. It's, we should never get tired of that. Uh, and yet, of course, it, it takes a bit to not get tired, to stay focused. Uh, in the series, a few weeks ago, we spoke about uh, forgiveness and our need to forgive others and what freedom we get as we do that. We also looked last week at leadership and how uh, as leaders in our lives, we need to figure out how to overcome opposition, external and internal. How do we uh, stay focused and stay, stay strong uh, when we're dealing with opposition? And today uh, in this series, uh, Leadership Buildings Faith, I, I want to talk about compassion, compassion uh, with commitment. How do we stay compassionate uh, with the things that God has put on our heart? How do we stay committed? How do we stay focused without getting, you know, burnt out or, or cynical or, you know, how do we do that? So uh, really what I, uh, what I want for you to do is just have that sort of sense of uh, how do I really Compassion. How do I stay compassionate? How do I do what we know the Lord wants us to do? How do I actually uh, have that lifestyle and how do I sustain that lifestyle? Uh, that's what I'd like to get out of this message. Uh, how do we do the things that all of us need to do in our day-to-day -day work, day-to-day -day lives, and still have compassion? You know, over and above. How do we do that? It's, it's not that easy, right? I mean, we can get totally consumed with our own lives and with our own issues. But how do we still have space and margin and desire over and above that to do the things the Lord wants? That, that, that's what I want you to get out of this message. So, Jesus, I just pray that you'd empower me to preach your word. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd stir our hearts. We just thank you for your Holy Spirit already moving here. And uh, we just ask for more of you. In your name, Jesus. Uh, amen. I want to go through uh, Nehemiah chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, uh, find your way to Nehemiah. Uh, again, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. It's in that Old Testament. If you're working your way back there or if you've got an electronic Bible, uh, put your phone on and uh, to put the story back in context, as we've been looking to uh, looking at the different uh, chapters in in, the, in Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah is trying to build a wall around Jerusalem. He's trying to reestablish uh, the city, and he is highly focused on trying to build this wall. And uh, there's a, a tremendous parallel in the story, as you're going to see uh, as it unfolds, because one person's passion or focus 
uh, while it can be a great leadership skill because you get something done, in this case, let's build a wall against the opposition, against all the odds, let's make it happen, uh, that's very in encouraging and inspiring. However, there's often a cost to be paid. Uh, people get exhausted. You're asking people to build a wall over and above what they are already doing. And that can become stressful and exhausting, and uh, people you know, just run out of energy and money and space and time and, uh, to do it. So we want to look at that facet as it comes up in the story. And of course, there's such an obvious parallel here with church life. Uh, I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm passionate about church. I'm passionate about advancing the kingdom. And we also, in the building campaign, to uh, you know, get a better facility, a bigger facility. And uh, it's easy for me to stand up every week and just be you know, singularly focused uh, on the need for a, a bigger facility, uh, on a need for us to connect with those that aren't yet in church. And uh, it's easy for you folks to get exhausted. Uh, I mean, financially exhausted and emotionally exhausted. You know, I'm saying, hey, come to this meeting. And then I'm saying, hey, help us with turkey baskets. And hey, help us deliver turkey baskets. And, and hey, we've got a prayer meeting on uh, Monday night. And hey, you know, eventually like, geez, I, I'm exhausted. It's totally understandable. But it's also understandable that we want to advance the kingdom. We don't want to give up on doing what God has called us to do. I mean, God is really interested in people like Mary Ellen that, are, that are, were disconnected and, and are trying to find, uh, to find Jesus and are trying to find a church home that they can be comfortable in. Uh, we can't ignore um, you know, the things that are happening outside of the church that we don't hear about. We can't only be focused on loving those inside the church. So I understand that I can exhaust you uh, pretty easily with all the things that church does in church life. But the, the goal isn't to exhaust you. The goal is to inspire you. The, the goal is that you would be in love with Jesus and that you'd have healthy boundaries and know, you know which ministries to say no to and which ministries to say yes to. And so that those that you say yes to, they're life-giving and you can like really focus in on them and give it all that you got and get a lot out of it. I mean, that's, that's the goal of church, right? And Nehemiah, in a similar way, was trying to build this uh, wall, and yet the wheels were coming off. Uh, let me read this uh, section to you, uh, Nehemiah chapter 5, and uh, notice that there's three people groups here that are suffering. And uh, just listen to the depth of their suffering. It, it, it's pretty uh, significant. About this time... Uh, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more food. And the rest of that sentence is, not because we're hungry, because we need more food to survive. We need more food to survive. That's one category. They're just trying to like put food on the table. Their families are starving. That's, you know, at the bottom level of the socioeconomic spectrum. And there's people in this church that are in that category. And then there's another bunch of folks which are like a step up, but they're still in dire straits. This is verse 3. And others said, We have mortgaged our fields 
vineyards and homes to get food during the famine. You know, so here's somebody in Jerusalem, you walk down, you see this beautiful vineyard, uh, you know, home on, on the property, and it looks great from the outside. I mean, it's like walking through Hopkinton, you see a beautiful house, it just looks like everything's great, but the person's broke. I mean, the thing is mortgaged to the hilt, there's no income coming in, the stress level is huge, and people are like really feeling the pressure. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter if you live in a rich town, a poor town, uh, People are suffering from economic stress of, you know, being indebted. Uh, and then there's another whole other level of uh, folks in society, in, in their society, in verse 4. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay taxes. Uh, you know, so some folks are really battling with uh, just meeting uh, government obligations for taxes. Now, I need to pause here because taxes then and taxes today are like not the same thing. You know, today when we pay our taxes, uh, we can complain and grumble and moan about paying taxes. Uh, but as believers, we should pay our taxes. But there's one huge blessing that we have paying taxes living in the United States. We actually get something back. I mean, you know, we get water uh, coming to our homes and we have garbage collection and we have uh, streets which are actually paved. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, governmental officials actually do things. I mean, we get money back for our taxes. Uh, you might not think you get enough back, but you get stuff back from your taxes. In these days, in biblical days, you got nothing back from your taxes. The idea there was the rich people just taxed you, not with any, uh, you know, desire to give anything back, just to get your money, and so that they could live large because they were in charge. You know, and the more they could extricate from you, the better. Uh, and they just tax you, uh, and they didn't worry about that. And that's how it is in some other countries in this world. You look at the, the politicians, and they just live like so large compared to the, the population of the country. You're just like, how can this possibly be? Well, that's what they're complaining about. they under severe load. Now, if you think that's bad, listen how bad it really is. Verse 5. Now they're complaining. The Jewish people are saying, hey, this is us. This is our family. This is like church. This is not outsiders. This aren't like non-believers. They're saying, we belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet, we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. Wow. I mean, talk about financial distress when you like have to sell off your children into slavery. I mean, you can understand why these people are grumbling. I mean, this is, uh, this is just a tremendous burden. And, you know, likewise, uh, here in church, we have people in different layers. I mean, there's some, excuse me, which, you know, just are battling to find a home and find a place to put, uh, you know, money for food on the tables. And then there's others of you which are, you know, in credit card debt, and you've just got a huge amount, and you're paying 30% interest. And, and, you know, it's like it doesn't matter how much money you earn. If you're paying 30% interest, you're just like, Never get ahead of the game. I mean, it's just a, a ridiculous amount of money to try and get ahead. You know, and it's like, wow, 
Lord, I, I need a break. I need some help. Uh, and sometimes it's not your fault. I mean, you could be ill. Uh, some of you are dealing with sicknesses, and it's, it's difficult. Uh, some of you may have entered into uh, legal contracts, which are just, you know, now you're like, you know, under the weight of that. You can't get out of it. Like you might have a franchise, and you're paying 5%, 7% franchise fee on your, on your building or, or your, your business, I should say. Uh, or you've committed some, you know, relational co uh, contract who you work for, and most of the profits are going to the person you work for, and you're getting very little out of it, but you signed a, a, a deal on that. Uh, many of you are stuck under legal obligation from d divorce decrees. You know, on the one hand, some of you say, I just can't meet the obligations of the divorce. I, I just can't come up with the money that, that the court is requiring me to pay. And then others of you on the other end of the spectrum, you say, the money I get is just like, or if you get it, uh, it's just not enough to cover. And, you know, you've got kids to take care of, and it's hard to take care of kids and work, and, and, and you're kind of stuck in the divorce thing, and you're just legally, you know, blocked. And you're saying, God, I, I need help. I need justice. I need, I need you to do something. Uh, this is the predicament that these people are in. And at the same time, uh, Nehemiah is saying, hey, let's build a wall. And these people are saying, I've got nothing left. I can't even, you know, I'm selling my kids. I mean, uh, you want me to spend all day long building on the wall? And Nehemiah is saying, yeah, I do. I, I, I want you to do that. But I also want justice. I don't want you to live like in this predicament. This is terrible. And so often is the case. We don't know what predicament people are in. And then when we find out what predicament people are in, uh, we really, you know, uh, are annoyed. Are we really stressed out? But on the other hand, there is this sense, God, look, supernaturally, can you dig me out? Can you bail me out? Can you do something in my circumstance? And uh, last week, as we were running out of church, uh, Nicole, where are you, Nicole? Uh, where's Nicole? There she's hiding right in the front where I can't see her. Last week, uh, Nicole had something to say to me, and I asked, do you want to repeat that to the church? And there's something I'll highlight. Come on up, Nicole. Tell me, tell me your story quickly. Uh, and if my memory is good, I'll remember what you told me. But you re just repeat what you told me as I was walking out last week because there was something that was pertinent here. I know you're real nervous. Uh, yeah, just a little. Um, <clears throat> so um, it's, it, God's been talking to me a lot about like tithing and I don't do it often um and i come to church and i'm like oh, i gotta tithe and a few weeks ago i i went out to my car <laughs> to go tithe and i put the money inside the little box and um three days later i got offered a job and made six times what i tithed <laughs> that week and then the next week another six times and then the next week another five times and a lot more. <laughs> Thank you. Did you want to say anything else? Um, Are you good? Okay, so the part that Nicole said to me that actually caught my attention wasn't what she just mentioned, although that was very good. <laughs> what caught my attention was this. She said, I thought it was just for other people, like people that had like regular jobs, you know, people that like were in a stable position. It was for those people. I didn't think it could be for her or for me. Okay, so those of you that know Nicole, 
she's struggling. She's a single mom. I mean, putting food on the table, finding a place to, to live, finding work, you know, having a car. I mean, these are being huge struggles. Now, again, you know, I don't, I don't know if I press the pedal heavy or not with tithing. I just know that there's this blessing, and I just love Nicole's story because go God. You know, here she takes a risk to say, I want to just do what I think the Lord has asked me to do, and, and the Lord just really blesses her. And I just think that's an awesome story. And, you know, Nicole's come here for years. I'm not pressurizing people, hopefully, uh, you know, to, to give financially when they don't want to give because I really... God wants you to be a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you to be a manipulated, you know, pressed. Uh, that just doesn't work. It's like these, these baskets, you know. I don't want us to be delivering baskets because, uh, you know, I'm on your case about it and you just feel used and manipulated. No, we want to do it because, you know, really this feels good and we just love to do it. And I'm asking people to commit to our building fund and to do the church uh, so we can have a bigger facility Again, why? So that we can do church better, so we can have a better children's ministry, not because I'm trying to manipulate. And for those that get it, praise the Lord. I mean, thank you for those that have been so generous. And for those that don't get it, you, you know, you're off the hook. I mean, you know, I'm not coming to your house <laughs> pounding you for, for, for money. You know, we, God is going to meet our needs and do, our, do what we need to do. All right, so... Uh, how are we doing it? Uh, the, the, if you're filling in the, the sermon outline for me, the first point I was trying to make is, how are you being treated? How are you personally being treated? Uh, do you identify with these folks which are uh, really just battling? And then the second point which I want to uh, make is, how are you treating others? How are you treating others? Uh, you know, one of the blessings, of course, of living in America is it's a wealthy country. So we benefit collectively through the wealth of this country. Uh, one of the mistakes I think we often make, those that have accumulated wealth, is they'll say, you know, I really worked hard and therefore I'm really wealthy and I'm really proud of myself and, and I deserve to be wealthy. And amen to that. I mean, I, I'm not against people working hard and doing well for themselves. Uh, I wish more people could do that. However, there is an uh, underlying mistake that uh, wealthy people often make, and that applies also to us as a country that we often overlook because, generally speaking, compared to the rest of the world, we're wealthy. We just, you know, if a wealthy person just like assumes that it was all on their own strength that they became wealthy, uh, often wealthy people are in an unbelievably advantageous predicament. Uh, uh, position to make more money. Uh, so, you know, when there's big recessions, uh, like the collapse and the Great Depression or this recent recession that we came out of, you know, most people are being squeezed, especially the people at the bottom. But there are a few wealthy people which really just excel during recessions because they've got money. And then they see like a property which is just going for a song, you know, and then they press you on it and they can knock the price down even more and, and nobody else is buying. And so you're just like, yeah, whatever, I'll, I'll sell. And then the economy turns around and, you know, a year later they sell that same property for a fortune. I mean, people with money can make money. What wealthy people uh, often don't realize is they've inherited money to start off with. I mean, if you've been given a house by your parents, you are really fortunate. 
I mean, if you've been given free education by your parents, you are really fortunate. Uh, you, you know, if you've experienced wealth, it's easy to make more money. Wealthy people generally are educated because they can afford it and their parents push them and they get it. But there's another thing. It's called social equity. Uh, you know, wealthy people have wealthy connections. They're well connected. Uh, they know who to call. There's some uncle or some friend who's connected who has a position or can find your job or knows your predicament and they can help you out. So wealthy people have social equity. They can do that. Poor people don't. They don't have access. Uh, they, don't, they can't get an uncle or a friend to you know, make a job for you or give you that opportunity. Or, and then we make the mistake of thinking, well, I just did it all on my own. Well, maybe you didn't do it on your own. Maybe you were born into a privileged position. And also, maybe God had a lot to say, it, like getting the breaks in your life. And on the other hand, that's what gives us all hope, saying, hey, God can make a way for even the poor, even the middle class, even those that are struggling. God can do something. But the big thing is, how are we doing? You know, are we treating each other, are we treating others well? Are we making an effort to treat others well? And clearly, uh, Nehemiah, when he gets wind of what's happening here with these rich folks that are, uh, you know, just killing these poor folks, he's mad. He says in verse 6, When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against those nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. And not only does he like get in their face and tell them that's wrong, he then calls a public meeting. And uh, everybody needs to hear about this problem with them present. I mean, he's really, you know, belittling them. And so in verse, uh, well, the rest of that verse, and I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are all doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. I mean, here's what's going on. Uh, they're saying, hey, listen, we were sent into exile. We were stuck in slavery. Now we're back into Jerusalem. We're trying to make ends meet. As a Jewish community, as a church, we are trying to help make something out of nothing. And a few of you are really just like really wealthy and you're just like abusing and using your fellow citizens. And he's saying, this is not right. And I mean, everybody reading it's like, this is not right. This is unjust. It's, it's a justice issue. Uh, but what is particularly uh, wonderful about this is God convicts them. God convicts them. You know, one of the things that's so awesome is when God convicts people. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about forgiveness. And uh, when you think of people that have offended you, uh, you would love to have that person be convicted by God and come to you and say, I am so sorry for the way that I hurt you, I've abused you, I've mistreated you, or whatever your circumstances. You would love to hear that. Uh, the money is almost irrelevant. Just to hear somebody being convicted and changed would be just priceless. And yet God is in the convicting business. God can change your heart. He can change the hearts of others. God loves to convict people. Uh, God is in the business of 
you know, Mary Ellen running around Hopkinton and she convicts her. She says, hey, ask this guy about church or, or you know, what, what's that billboard all about or, or whatever. God will use any means to convict us, to get us where he wants us to be. Uh, it, it's a wonderful thing to be praying that God will convict. Convict you, convict me, convict people that offend you, that God would be in the equation. Uh, you know, there's so many surprising convictions. Uh, all of us know the song Amazing Grace. Uh, you know, John Newton was an absolute scoundrel, the guy that wrote that song. I mean, some of you know his history. He was a slave trader. He was doing well financially. He had boats. He was trading slaves. You know, finally God convicts him. And he says, this is not right. And he turns his whole life around. He becomes a lover of God. He starts working for justice. You know, it's amazing. You know, another surprising conviction uh, is one of the vineyard pastors here in the U.S., uh, Rich Nathan. I mean, I, I love his church and I love his preaching and, and I'm really great that we've got the national uh, convention this upcoming summer at his church. I'm looking forward to actually just going there and being part of the church and hearing him again. But here's one of those surprising convictions. You know, how does a person that grew up in New York City as a Jew, committed every week, going to shul, you know, getting bar mitzvahed, uh, learning Hebrew, uh, just being in a Jewish society, uh, after being bar mitzvahed, becoming a, a outspoken atheist, and just saying this is just a whole lot of, you know, whatever, you know, how can people believe in this foolishness? And, and being outspoken about it. And because he's got a brilliant mind, he's able to articulate his anger or dislike of the lack of God or whatever. And then, you know, late in his teens, he meets somebody that convicts him through a relationship, not through an intellectual argument, not through some, you know, major persuasion, but through somebody, like he sees something in this person. You know, Rich goes on to law school, preaches, he's a professor at uh, Ohio State, and, and then God convicts him again and says, you need to be a pastor. You know, so he gives his life to Jesus. I mean, that's a, that takes a lot for a Jewish person. And then to start preaching, and you know, so that's why I look forward to his church. I mean, he go to a church with 10,000 people, you know, that he's preaching to every Sunday. It, it's like strange. Strange how God can convict people. God can change anybody. Uh, he can convict anybody. Uh, he can convict you. So let me just uh, read this. Verse 9, then I press further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by the enemy, by the enemy nations? You know, there is a time when we ask for God's conviction. And here he is, Nehemiah, is asking for that. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Then he says, I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending these people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day and repay the interest you have charged when you lent them the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Now here's the amazing thing. They were convicted. Verse, verse 12, they replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. 
Now, you think Nehemiah would say, great, go, go and do it. Oh, no, no. He presses this problem a lot more publicly. He doesn't just say, go and do it. He says, we will do, they say, we will do as you, say, as you say. And then Nehemiah says, then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. So it's not just like some private little meeting with him and Nehemiah. Oh, no, no. He calls them up. Hey, get all the priests. Make a big public thing. Hey, this is, did you hear what they said? They promised they were going to do this. Now hold them accountable to it. And if that's not embarrassing enough and holding them accountable enough, then he gives them like this very interesting visual aid. He shook out the folds of his robe and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your properties. I mean, he's like proclaiming a visual Curse is saying, hey, let me unfold my robe. You see how this is happening and everything's being shaken out? That's what God's going to do if you don't make good on your promise. I mean, these people were being convicted. The whole assembly responded, amen. No kidding. They were all like, justice at last. You know, praise the Lord. They praised the Lord and the people did as they had promised. And that's a wonderful thing. Now, one of the things which is great about leadership is Nehemiah was a leader with integrity. Uh, he led, you know, in a humble way. It says here, for the entire 20 years I was governor of Judah, from the 28th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine, and besides, 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. And then look at the way he does act. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refusing to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall as well. I asked nothing even though I regularly fed, you know, 150 Jewish officials, and he does all that he needs to do. And then at the bottom here, verse 18, yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Uh, you, you know, so basically what Nehemiah is saying, hey, listen, I'll work on the wall as well. I'll have my staff work on the wall as well. We're all going to do this together. I mean, it's a, it's a shared load. And if you've been under... You know, if you work for an employer that is that way, I mean, for instance, if you work at Milford Regional Hospital, most people at that hospital have worked there many years. Why? Because the leadership is good. You know, Frank Saber, the president of the hospital, knows not only the surgeons' names, he knows the names of the janitors. You know, Frank will walk down the halls in the hospital and he'll come across a janitor and he won't only know the janitor by name, He'll know the janitor's family by name. Hey, John, how's your son, Jeremy? How's he doing? I mean, how does a president of a major hospital do that? Well, that's why people have been working there like 30 years. You know, they just don't quit. It's like a good place to work. I mean, it's care and compassion. It, you know, it's just, it's wonderful when you work in an organization where uh, people are, are trying and are good and, and are bold. Uh, let me just uh, finish up this way by pointing that the best and most ultimate leader is Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't have a big fancy house. 
uh, if they had cars in those days, he didn't have the most fancy car. I mean, he didn't even have a great stallion. He rode on a donkey. You know, he was like a people's person. Uh, Jesus, on the one hand, was constantly offering love and offering hope, healing sick people and confronting injustice. But Jesus knew that the main conviction that people needed to have, more than helping the poor, more important than that, was to have faith in God. There was a sense where Jesus saying, I am representing God to you. Will you believe in me? Uh, look at the things I do. Yes, I do miracles. Yes, I take care of the poor. Yes, that's important. But more important is, will you believe in me? Will you follow me? Will you become my disciple? And, you know, as we uh, wrap up our service today, I, I just often think about this as a church. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, the reason I started this church was because I wanted to see people that didn't know Jesus come to know Jesus. I, I wanted us to do the things that we do as a church. We do missions work. We do outreaches. We do d delivery. We help people inside the church. But that's not the number one thing. Those are all good things. But the number one thing is, are we connecting people to God? Is there a sense where people that don't have hope can have hope? People that don't know the love of God can know the love of God. Is there some way that we can connect people to God? And, and you know, I just say, where are we at with that? Let me, ask, let me ask this question this way. Who of you in this church over this last year have made your first time commitment to Jesus? Like, you I want to put my faith in Jesus. This last year, if that's you, just like, just raise your hand. I just, why don't you stand up? Because I, I know you just love the limelight. Okay, can we give her, can we give her a clap? All right, praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, look, we're only, doing, we're only just doing what they're doing in heaven, right? I mean, the Bible tells us when one person receives the Lord, I mean, the angels are applauding and everybody's excited. Uh, let me ask you a different question. Maybe today you're saying, I want to receive Christ. L let me do this. If that's you, why don't you take the hand of somebody that's sitting next to you, squeeze it, and say, hey, listen, will you stand with me today? Just as a, as a support. I mean, you came with me, you brought me, you twisted my arm to come today, but today I want to receive Jesus. Will you stand with me? Let's, is there anybody here that wants to stand? Uh, just stand right now. I'd, I'd love to just pray for you. I'd love to ask you to, you know, walk this walk with Jesus. Okay, there's nobody. Dan is saying there's somebody. Okay, somebody's nervous. They won't stand. But look, there's not a lot of response. L let me ask you if you join me in something. Can you agree that that's not right? I mean, I'm not like scolding you. I I'm asking you, would you partner with me? Could we like pray and say, God, on a regular basis, Sunday in and Sunday out, we would see our friends, our family, come to know you and have a relationship with you and have their, la their lives transferred, transformed, you know, changed from the inside out by your love. All I'm asking you is, will you partner with me in prayer? In fact, let me do it this way. I know we all have different passions and, and different interests and, and churches, wonderful, you know, we do this, we do this. But for those of you that are saying, that's my primary, that's like, for me, that's just like, 
what, re what really just like floats my boat. If that's you, just stand. I, I, and you're saying, okay, I, I just, I'm in that camp, Rob. I'm with you. I just want to be part somehow other of seeing lost people get saved. Thank you. I mean, is anybody else? Just say, that's my passion. As a church, God, just use me. I want to bring people to know you. I, I, Lord, I just, this is just who I am. I, you know, yeah, thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that each person here just has the privilege, Lord, of coming across people that want to know you. Lord, I just pray that you'd release each person standing in this room. Lord, I'm praying for your power, for your anointing. Lord, that our friends and our families and those that we come in contact with will come to know you. And Lord, that you would use each one of us to make that a reality. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just acknowledge that we can't do it. And yet, Lord, you called us to make disciples. And Lord, disciples start with people receiving you. Lord, we just say we, that's our heart. That's what we want to see as a church. Lord, we just say it's not right that we don't see the fruit that we should be seeing. Lord, convict us. Change us. Lord, we ask you to change the atmosphere in this place as we sang. Lord, that people that don't know you will come to know you. Thank you, Jesus. I just thank you, Jesus, for what you are doing. I thank you for this church. In your name, Jesus. Lord Jesus, that's our desire, Lord, is for your presence, that you'd overwhelm us with your love. Lord, I thank you for your good people in this church. Lord, I just pray for blessing on your people. Lord, I pray that we can go out into the community today and be a light to the community, that we can deliver baskets with joy and with love. And Lord, I just pray for divine opportunities for those that don't even know you yet as we're delivering, that maybe we'd have a chance to uh, introduce them to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, Ken, why don't you hit the back lights on for me? Um, Sue, why don't you come share what we got here? I, you know, I, I just want to say this before we go. If you're struggling with what's the difference between, like, knowing Jesus and receiving Jesus, I encourage you to come talk to me. It's one thing to know Jesus. It's a whole different thing to receive Jesus and let him be Lord of your life. Uh, that's a whole nother level. And uh, uh, there might just be somebody here that's in that point. Please stand up here so they can see you. Hi. <laughs> uh, when we were praying this morning before the service, we felt uh, this scripture, and I, I thank Joe for finding it for me. And we said, it's somewhere in Matthew, and he's found it, 7-7. Seven, seven. Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds and the door is opened to everyone who knocks. So if you're seeking help, with how do, how do I do this, God? How do I do this? You're knocking on the door, God, and, and, and you just need help. Because we can't do this without God. So we just want to pray for you. And for, if that's you, yes. come on up. And you know, receive prayer. Our service is over. Uh, bless you. Thank you for coming. You're welcome to just stay in your seat and just listen to the music and connect and pray. And But if you've got kids, go pick them up. Uh, there's great bake sale items. Please don't take all the cookies because I want to buy some.
Bless you. Have a great week. Come forward if you'd like prayer. We'd gladly pray for you.